Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast about the movies that make us feel seen. I am here today with, I will say, one of the hardest working women in show business, an early podcaster on the wave. You might have known her from breaking out with the show The Canon that she did, talking about movies and podcast form before every single one of us had a podcast of our own. But now you can catch her on, and for the last several years, on Unspooled with Paul Shear. Its fourth season is kicking off. It is that podcast you constantly see at the tops of list of most downloaded shows about movies. She also writes for the New York Times. And if I sat here and listed off all the places that Amy Nicholson had a byline, we would be here uh, for the entire hour. So Amy Nicholson... Welcome on to the show, and is there anything else we should say up top so the people have a good foundation for you? I think that is a great foundation for the movie that we're watching and why we're watching it. I, I, I mean, what what have you brought to discuss today, then? Because this is I, I, perhaps a, a biggest zag episode that I've done so far. <laughs> I'm a little nervous about what I've brought to you, and I will say this is a oh movie that- Oh my god, no, I'm excited. I have not seen this movie again since the weekend it came out, so I rewatched it, but I saw this movie when I was a baby critic, when I was still at USC and doing little freelance reviews, and um, I saw it opening weekend. I was dreading watching this movie, cried like a baby, cried like an absolute baby at Uh the uh end of this film. And it and it affected me in such a, an emotional way that I haven't watched it again because I do suspect that it is also a terrible film, and yet when the question came up, like what movie makes me feel seen, I was going through things in my head, and I was like, well, lady journalist movie. Well, they're all most lady journalists are terrible in movies. That doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, do how many how many of your sources have you had sex with to identify with lady journalists in movies? Would be the question then. <laughs> all of them. It's so complicated. All of them. You know, like you can't review a movie without sleeping with the grip. I mean, what are nope, you going to do? You cannot. <laughs> um. And then I realized I think there's something screwed up in my head where like I identify the most with characters that show me the darkest parts of what I'm afraid is inside my soul. Okay. Do, do you know okay. like Yeah, of course. Cause I'm sure you talk to like tons of people who, you know, like I mean, isn't that the mantra we're supposed to say about social media right now? Like I look at influencers and their lives are so perfect and it makes me feel like aspirational or angry mm-hmm. or all sorts of emotions. And I never feel any of those emotions when I look at influencers, really. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that looks like a nice day for them. Seems like a lot of work. Very yeah. much so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same thing, actually. Yeah. So I guess I don't get inspired, but I get like scared. And, and that's, <laughs> what, that's when I see scene. I felt seen feeling scared when I identified so deeply with this Adam Sandler movie. Now, then the I guess the the question would be then, was it that was the thing that scared you most about this? Adam? Well, OK, so guys, click <laughs> click is a 2006. So put like all the caution tape you can around an Adam Sandler movie from 2006. Within the first 12 minutes, we do have Rob Schneider playing an Arab prince. So just like that's the tone that the whole movie's going to operate on because it's an Adam Sandler. It's a Happy Madison movie from the from the 2000s. Like that's the baseline operating procedure here. Oh, yeah. Th- this is a movie that didn't think anybody except white guys who look like Adam Sandler would watch this movie in 2006. It's got everything. Fat phobia, gay yep. panic, terribly written female characters. Trans jokes. It, it, it Wow, does it not hold up. Any, I, if there is something in this movie that offends you, yes, absolutely. It offends 100%. me too. 100%. But also, I have to say, there's a twisted part of me that kind of enjoyed going back to a movie from my lifetime and seeing, mm-hmm. like, my God, we've at least made some progress, right? Like, because no, I- it as an as an arts scholar, as I self-identified, <laughs> uh, I it is the constant exercise of exhuming, particularly the millennium era, and seeing how out how out front on main egregiously bad things were in every capacity of racist, fatphobic, um, nationalist, xenophobe, on constantly every front is like, okay, we've got a long way to go. But even just since like 2005, <laughs> we have come 
really, really far. Right? Sometimes I feel like a veteran of living through the first decade of the millennium. Like, we survived that. Nobody was around to tell us that this wasn't normal or right Mm -mm. or funny. Like, we had to find our way through this time period. The the dumb jokes we had to live through Mm -hmm. as a society, just painful. And so... I guess, yeah, like, I don't find, like, an influencer making a beautiful plate of cupcakes that inspirational, but I find this (laughs) terrible movie inspirational for us. We did it. We don't think any of this is funny anymore. We don't think any of this is funny anymore. And an interesting thing happens in this movie where Adam Sandler is a hardworking architect. He has the most beautiful wife in the world in Kate Beckinsale. He has two children whose only crime is they want to spend more time with him. Um, Thankfully, Jennifer Coolidge is here intermittently as Kate Beckinsale's best friend. And he is just, he's overworked, but he wants that promotion. He's providing for his family. He doesn't think that people see him as the good guy that he is. And he he wants to get a universal remote to make everything in his life easier in the house. And what he ends up finding is Christopher Walken in a skin, in the skin suit of Christopher Walken, who is actually the angel of death, who offers him a universal remote that will be able to manipulate his actual three-dimensional meat space life. You're looking for a universal remote control? Yeah, just one device to do it all for me, make my life a little easier, quicker, not so damn complicated. I'm not supposed to do this, but you seem like a good guy. Hey. Somebody noticed, thank you. I'm gonna show you a remote we just got in that's probably the most advanced piece of technology we have in this place. Sounds sweet. It is sweet. The latest, greatest universal remote, not even on the market yet. He can fast forward through things he doesn't want to deal with. He can go to his main menu and see the special features of his life and hear the commentary on it. And yes, imagine that he starts abusing the remote function, but doesn't realize that an oddly prescient technology movie, this device, like an AI, starts mapping his preferences and preempting them. So because he starts fast-forwarding through so much bullshit, quote-unquote, that he doesn't want to do, he starts involuntarily being fast-forwarded through huge chunks of his life. And every time he comes back to consciousness, realizes he's missed children's memories, divorces that he has gone through. I mean, it's, it's all falling down. And the reason I say the interesting thing happens is this movie at 45 minutes, with 45 minutes left, takes a dark turn and stays dark for pretty much the entire rest of the way. Like, it gets progressively more sad and fucked up as this guy keeps sleepwalking through his life. And you see things get worse and worse. I was like, shit, I don't remember Click being this, like, harrowing when I saw it in 2006. This is like Adam Sandler's Lars von Trier movie, right? You are right. Yeah. Everybody points at, you know, Punch Drunk Love. I'm like, no, if you want to see Dark Sandler, it is click because that Mm -hmm. everything that you just described that happens in this movie is mildly relatable. He's like, my dog is taking too long to poop. This is really frustrating. What if I just Mm -hmm. fast forwarded through walking the dog? What if I just... (laughs) fast forwarded through having a cold this weekend what if i could Mm -hmm. just skip forward and not have the cold and honestly yeah doesn't that sound kind of a little bit nice because (laughs) what what happens when you fast forward through the bullshit in this movie is it kind of turns out that most of life is actually made up of a lot of bullshit yeah And, and you have to figure out how to appreciate the bullshit otherwise you're just not even alive at all and that is a that is a deep mess that's like bergman coming out of Adam Sandler. <laughs> you're no, you're right. And like I think I love the comparison of Punch Drunk Love because it's like, yeah, that's the like that's his like earnest movie before, obviously like Uncut Gems, when it's like, yeah, but that's got it's like obviously an earnest film. It's like, did you guys think that brain cancer and divorce was gonna be part of click? Did you think that like death by heart attack in front of a person's entire family was gonna be part of click? Like <laughs> no, I bet you didn't when you saw the trailer for this like whimsical little sort of epitome of everything that makes a schlubby husband comedy was coming at you but I remember like I paused it specifically when it took its first like oh this is actually kind of really sad when like he gets the first significant fast forward where he's realized he's missed so much of his family's life he's missed like a whole year he's like take me to my promotion took that bastard a year to promote me what else did I miss 
and it happens. He thinks it's been a couple weeks. It's been a full year. Samantha, my little angel. Mm, look at you. Look how long your hair is getting. What did you grow up with, Ben? Get over here. Don't you worry. I'm not going to work tonight. We're going to watch Dragon Tales together. What do you say? Dragon Tales is for babies, Dad. I want to watch CSI. Yes, CSI. It's the episode when they find the lady's arm. What happened? I missed the whole Dragon Tales era? And I looked at the counter and I was like, I have 47 minutes left of this movie. Where could we possibly go for 47 more minutes? And I didn't expect that I was on a downward escalator into like hell yes. for the rest of the time. Where you could easily find yourself in a theater on opening weekend sobbing, sobbing, <laughs> sobbing as he's like crawling in the rain, having a heart attack, just wanting mm -hmm. to tell his young son, don't make the same mistake I did by prioritizing work over your family, mm -hmm. which... Which let's let I me mean, let's talk about this because like yes this right this movie starts like a comedy you know it starts mm -hmm. all happy they're playing like uh oh it's magic you know people yeah. are eating Twinkies <laughs> the dog is humping like a stuffed animal you yes. know it seems pretty ordinary pretty cheerful and he's not I would say Adam Sandler's character the worst guy in the world like he's no. he's really flawed in just relatable ways like he's not getting around to building his kids a tree house mm -hmm. you know he you know doesn't like giving his wife a massage for you know foreplay obviously yeah. adam sandler's never been in a movie he's like i'm the greatest lover of all time um no. but all of that you know kind of happens like that that feels quite real to me mm -hmm. he sort of epitomizes the like unremarkable husband maybe you grew up with that dad or that was your friend's dad or at this point in life like that's like a husband you have or you know who's just like you know what heart of gold though heart of gold though at the end of the day right because he is trying like he's trying mm -hmm. to leave work on time to go to his kids swim meet he's actually trying but his mm -hmm. boss gets really mad at them and he just thinks like well, I can get the kids bikes if I get this promotion. You know, he's like, I can do this for the kids. He has that line in here. It's just every choice I make, everything I do, I disappoint somebody. And the pressure he's under, I totally feel that. I totally feel it. Like you're, I feel like every, every day of my life, every weekend, every everything, it's like, oh, can I make it to that? Can I do this? Can I figure this in? Like, because mm -hmm. if if you give me. Elaine, I could easily like work all weekend because like mm -hmm. we live in a period where there's no division between work and life. I mean, increasingly every year. Mm -hmm. Well, I think in the in the industry that, that you're in specifically too, like that delineation is really hard. Exactly. It's the greatest job in the world. But then you do look around and you're like, oh, well, four nights a week, I have to go to a movie at 7 p.m. I never get dinner with people. I never get yeah. normal dinner. Like, it's exciting to me to make dinner because I don't get to, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. Or or this week, I have, um, I'm on the radio this week reviewing movies, and so I have to watch, like, eight to ten new releases this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is just like, and I have to fit that in on top of everything else, on top of my yeah. normal review, on top of, like, my podcast stuff, on top of rewatching Click and really being like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much for taking that time, Amy. Yeah. So it's... See, it, yeah, it sounds like fun, but then it's t so many hours of your day are like mm -hmm. you on a couch being like, hold on, honey, I'm sorry, I have to watch this two and a half hour Paul Feig comedy about like school and <laughs> <laughs> about school. Yeah. No, and that's and it's like you're not watching those movies at one and a half speed. You can't compress the time of a movie to watch eight to ten of them. It's like, well, here's these finite run times of all these things. So it looks like I'm committed for these <laughs> 25 hours. I know. And everything else fits around that, I guess. And I will say TV critics have it much, 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 much worse. I, I don't even know. At this point, I, I have to believe they're all faking it because I don't understand in any way, in any material way that a TV critic could actually do their job in 2022. If they're all faking it, I support you. I can't blame you. Stretch it out as long as you can. There's too much. Your job's untenable. <laughs> exactly. But so, yeah, when Sandler... We, like, we don't get that much of a glimpse into Sandler's life, you know, his, like, mm -hmm. backstory, his history. But we do get this one little scene of him as a kid going camping with his parents. And, like, it's just him camping. It looks really cute. He's running around. Mm -hmm. And then you see that the other kids are like, oh, your family's only here in a tent. You know, like, mm -hmm. he gets a little bit judged because the other families have an RV. And it, mm -hmm. that's the only little tiny bit we get in him where you can see that, like, part of his 
you know, motivation is that he's a little bit insecure that he was t- a tiny bit poorer than everybody else growing up. And he doesn't want his kids to feel mm-hmm. that way. But yeah, like he really believes that he is making the best decisions for his family. He believes that his boss is telling him the truth that he's going to promote him any minute. He doesn't know it's going to take a year. Like your mm-hmm. boss, this is about your boss lying to you and wasting your life. You know, it's, <laughs> yes. it's about all of that. And it's so sad because like he doesn't want to miss his time. Dad, how much longer are you gonna live? One minute. One minute? Oh no, no, honey, honey, honey. Don't worry, I'm not dying. I'm gonna live for 200 years. Is that long enough for you and me? Promise. I promise, swear. Come here. With it hitting you so hard when you first watched it, it feels like it has the potential to actually age really potently with you. Because these things, if this hit you, in an acute way, like you said, when you're a baby critic in 2006, you're still at USC, fight on. And you now, like we are in 2022, you're a veteran, like lives only get more, there are only more strings as you get older. Like things don't simplify necessarily in that way. Maybe at a certain point there's a turn and then it's like, oh yeah, I I weed out all these extraneous things. But for now, it's kind of just like, I feel like in the general age range that me and you occupy, we're sort of entering a zenith of capacity of things we could have at one time <laughs> that were like plates that we're spinning. So with with perchance, I'm assuming more to to more plates to spin now than you had in 2006. Is it like a more intense watching experience of Click? Or do you feel like you've matured and to be able to at least process it? Because I would imagine it could be like a man, this hits even harder than it did then. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't cry, but I did mist up. But it it does, I mean, you know, when you get older and more and more years pass by, this idea mm-hmm. in here of, you know, he is not live in a coma when he fast forwards. Like, he's walking yeah. around, he's moving. But what they call it in this film is autopilot. Mm-hmm. That you're like an autopilot through your life. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's also like a kind of, it sounds almost zen to really contemplate. The idea of like, are you maximizing your day? Mm-hmm. Like, we lived through a pandemic where you, I don't know what I did for months of my life. Like, <laughs> Isn't it wild? <laughs> yeah. There's just time that's sort of a blank. Like I know I was in mm-hmm. these sweatpants. I think we, I think we did get to make dinner. I kind of liked pandemic for that reason, a tiny bit, you know? And I think what scares me about that is in the last couple, there's a thing that both my boyfriend and I have said this summer that when I really look at it terrifies me, which is mm-hmm. that we both got COVID. Uh, finally, like we were very finally late. I got it actually doing a podcast. And when we got COVID and we had to stop everything and we had mm-hmm. like, you're not supposed to really work that hard. You're supposed to let your mind relax. You're supposed to actually sit on a couch. Yeah. Like we sat and we've relaxed for, you know, about a week until we felt better. And mm-hmm. and I am slightly nostalgic for the week that I had COVID. And I think that is terrifying to, to admit out loud that like the no, week I, I had COVID and I had fair. nothing to do was was a great week. <laughs> <laughs> like watching this is is the relatability aspect for Sandler in this movie is it the like the fear that if I had the remote I would fast forward or like I too am serving too many masters and I feel like I'm not delineating my time or like I feel like I am autopiloting and I'm not present in my moment like is there a strand of that that is more that punches at you more than another or is it just kind of accumulation of all of them I would say it's mostly an accumulation. It's it's a, or or like a warning, you know. Like, are you mm-hmm. sure that you're not on autopilot? It, it's almost yeah. like taking your car to the mechanic. Are you sure that you're like actually present in your life? Are you sure that you're trying to make people feel prioritized? You know, my friends and my boyfriend and my mm-hmm. my cat. Every time I leave my cat now for like the night, I feel so terrible. Um, <laughs> but I think I think maybe part of what I really identify with is. Somehow in my life, I became a person who carries around a ton of guilt, and I don't know when that started, but I do. Okay, so that's, but that's not a forever thing for you. You noticed at a certain point that became a part of you. Yeah, I don't think I was really that guilty for a long time. And then I think okay. I, and then suddenly I think I got guilty that I was moving through the world and not feeling guilty about things. And then I, <laughs> and then it all spiraled and I got very guilty about all of it. That's unfair. <laughs> it is, yeah. But I always, I do always worry that I'm like, letting people down and can't accomplish everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like I one of my 
like best worst traits is if I tell somebody I'll go to their birthday party, I will be there and it won't make any sense. And maybe it'll throw off my whole day and mm-hmm. I will maybe only be able to be there for 25 minutes, you yeah. know, because it'll be in Reseda. But it's like, oh, I said I was going to go. <laughs> and it's like impossible for me to not do that. Okay. And and I think I'm, I'm glad that I'm a person of my word, but it is also exhausting. You can easily spend your whole weekend in this town driving from place to place to place to place. And never, you really can. Yeah, and never actually being in the place because you're already worried about how, how to drive to the next place. And so, of course, of course, Adam Sandler skips through traffic in this movie. Why wouldn't right. you skip through traffic in this movie? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Am I being now? I'm worried that I'm being too like real and miserableist. But, no, no. Yeah. This is this is exactly why we have the show. And I think I, I what I a thing I didn't expect this movie to exact so effectively was the moment when Sandler learns what autopilot means. And Christopher Walken is like taking him back through a memory in his life being like, he's like, it's not that you're, he's like, your body's still there when you're fast forwarding. So like, cause he's trying to be, he's, he's talking to Christopher Walken being like, my wife's saying I had a conversation with her. I don't remember this at all. What's going on. He's not keeping the memories that his body is participating in when he is fast forwarding. So he takes him back to a dinner where his wife says something to him and he just like very like, Cro-Magnon man acknowledges he's like yeah yeah okay and so like when he's in these fast forward periods at one point I think it's like a decade that he jumps or like six years at multiple occasions and the idea that the people around him are being subjected to the autopilot version of their like of their dad and their husband and just like seeing him in that dinner table scene the like very like like close to home violence of seeing like this person on autopilot in front of their loved ones was like oh god that's you on autopilot Mm -hmm. the lights are on but nobody's home Mm. the remote lets your mind skip around but your body actually stays put for all the boring stuff honey we should go to lunch tomorrow to get your dad's birthday gift sounds good so she did tell me I'm I'm having conversations on autopilot then. You're not going to be the life of the party, but yes. Everyone goes on autopilot now and then. The big difference is now you've got a nifty remote to help you decide when. Like, that is so, that's so painful just to see and to know that the people around him had to deal with him in this drone mode for 10, and that is a way that people can fall into living their lives. It really, like, I found that specifically, that notion of autopilot, really upsetting as somebody who endeavors to be perhaps the most emotionally present person <laughs> in any environment that they're occupying. Right? But isn't that so familiar too? Don't you feel like you've met people in that mode or yes. grown up around people in that mode and you're like I am the way I am because I've seen that and I'm like no no no, no. It, like I'm terrified <laughs> of the idea of being on autopilot through phases of like finite experiences and, you know, relationships, even if they don't end, they change over time. So it's like, I need to be as present as possible in every relationship that I have, because when it changes and I get less of these people, I need to know that I can't regret a single instance of the, (laughs) I didn't take them for granted one time. And it's essentially functions as like him accidentally sort of having taken for granted in his corporeal form, 10 years of these people, even when he, in his conscious mind didn't realize that was happening. Totally. And what's the trick of the movie, too, is that the movie notices that this is having a negative effect on his family before he Mm -hmm. does. Like, he's so self-absorbed that at the beginning, it doesn't occur to him to care whether or not they're happy around him. He's like, oh, my parents are coming over for dinner. I don't want to deal with this. Let me fast forward, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my wife is fighting with me. Let me fast forward, accidentally fast forwarding through sex. And then, like, he's just like, oh, well, I'll get you later. And the camera at least shows us. We get really no personality for Kate Beckinsale at all, ex- no. other than she thinks dressing up, you know, in a Native American headdress is like sexy. Yes, Re- yes, that's that is that is foreplay time. Yeah, recurring joke: her Pocahontas costume, um, yes. which actually then leads to the question: who is he playing in that scenario? But <laughs> yeah. but yeah, like, good question as well. The camera at least is watching her be unsatisfied. It's like mm-hmm. that sucked, and he doesn't notice. He doesn't notice how unhappy she is. And I don't think he really wakes up until he fast forwards to the point where his 
father has passed away. Mm-hmm. And he rewinds to the last time that he saw his dad. His, oh, my God. His dad played by Henry Winkler, you know, who's wonderful in this. Yes. And, you know, his his every character in here has, like, one thing. You know, like, yeah. oh, they got one thing. And so Henry Winkler's character trait is that he has been doing this magic quarter trick his whole life. Where mm-hmm. he pretends to take a bite of it. And then the, it has a bite missing from the quarter. And then it gets healed. Yeah. And... um. Adam Sandler as a child apparently asked him all the time how to do it, and he never ever told him, and he still doesn't know. And then, at like the last time they see each other, is like his dad's very old, and he comes into his office, and he's like already letting his son down, you know, being like, "I only care about making things cheap. I don't care about your art." Yeah. Blah 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 blah. We're seeing another scene. Yeah, of he's him. like he's like the biggest architect in the world at this point. Yeah. We see like in the foyer of the like the building is his. He owns this firm. There, his he walks into like a big TV that says like "Architect of the Year," and it's like he is theoretically achieved. Everything he ever wanted to. Everything he ever wanted to. And then his dad comes in and he's like, let's have a boys night out. Like you, me, the son, let's go mm-hmm. out. I'm pro- probably go to Hooters. I, I don't even know. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but he's so focused on work. He's just like, I, no. And he just snaps at him and he's like, I always knew your quarter trick. Yeah. That's right. Because he does. He always knows the quarter trick. He just pretends he doesn't know to please him. But yeah, his, son, his his dad's like, if you come out tonight, like, I'll finally tell you how I've done it. I know you always wanted to know. And Adam Sandler just snaps at him. He's like, I've always known dad. Like, can you just get out of here? Like, I have these emails to send. I have these emails to send. Oh, there's always and emails to send, aren't there? There's always that email you have to send. There's always the email. And it is, <laughs> I mean, credit to, like, for the the catastrophic um, just like phobias laden throughout this movie in bad taste uh, and and the jokes, the writers really nailed this moment of Adam Sandler wanting to see the last time he he saw his dad and watching him be horrible to his father and the last experience they had with him alive. And then he like hit at Henry Winkler, like rubs the back of Adam Sandler's head as he's walking out of the room. And he says like, I love you son and turns around and walks out. And then, you know, he's going to die. And so Adam Sandler comes around to the side and he rewinds the moment of him telling his corporeal body in memory. I love you like four times just stands there and like his dad turns and looks him in the eye basically from where he's standing his like you know his non his like metaphysical form every time and just like four times just I love you son I love you son and I was like this is that was where I was like when I was like where are we gonna spend the next 47 minutes like I said the escalator going down to hell because like and like you said this is his Lars von Trier movie like this is a emotional torture exercise watching this yeah and I want to believe that this is actually pretty resonant for Adam Sandler. You know, like, he is a guy with, like, a big family. He is a guy with, like, kids, and he loves his whole network of friends. And he is a guy who, you know, at this point, 2006, was really busy. So busy. Really busy. So busy. And I imagine this was kind of chewing on his head, too. I imagine it kind of is chewing on everybody's head. I think, like, Mm -hmm. is there anyone among us who is like, I have plenty of time, and I get it all done? (laughs) I don't know if anybody feels like that. (laughs) <laughs> I have plenty of time and I get it all done. Yeah. Everyone knows I love them. Everyone's yeah. all everybody in my life is attended to. I have plenty of time. I get it all done. My house is clean and I make dinner, even if it's just for myself every night. Yeah. And yet I also feel like emotionally fulfilled on the inside and intellectually stimulated. Who gets to do all of that? You know, and I appreciate that part of this movie, you know, blames it on dun, 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 capitalism that like, yeah, it's, you know, his his boss's life is structured like this. The whole company is structured like this. We already know the guy who had his promotion before him dies. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is just... By, by like, he, suicide. Yeah. This is just how the world works when everybody is acting like it's all fine. Yeah. And, yeah. like, this is how it's supposed to be. And congratulations, you're so successful. And that is such a dark mode. But, like, there is no option in this film to, I think, properly have it all he's not going to get these promotions you know if he ever gets a second chance and and, yeah and you can't it's like an awareness that you know we are all at some point being set up to fail in some way and how do Mm -hmm. we how do we accept which piece of this we're going to fail at Mm -hmm. i mean my god 2006 like this even predates like hustle culture get your third job everybody should have an uber like we have gotten we've gotten so much worse than this (laughs) yeah you're right 2006 is also 
we're, I mean, it's post 9-11 America, but economically, this is pre the crash. Yeah, it this is. This is pre Bear Stearns. This is pre Lehman Bros. We're still theoretically like cruising in those economic post Clinton years. Yeah. And I mean, we're seeing the cost of it, but it just, the cost has only gotten more expensive. Oh. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be right back with much more Amy, including her highly original thoughts on this movie straight out of 2006. Then I will have one quick thing before I go about the Christmas classic, Rennie Harlan's Gina Davis vehicle, The Long Kiss Goodnight. You probably already have a favorite animal. Maybe it's a powerful apex predator like the tiger or a cute and cuddly panda. And those are great, but have you considered something a little more unconventional? Could I perhaps interest you in the Greenland shark, which can live for nearly 400 years? Or maybe the jewel wasp who performs brain surgery on cockroaches to control their minds? On Just the Zoo of Us, we review animals by giving them ratings out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Listen with friends and family of all ages to find your new favorite animal with Just the Zoo of Us on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Hello, I'm a stuffy dowager countess. Travis? I'm judging everybody's manners. Oh, no. Schmanners isn't judgy. It's about teaching you to be your best self and be a little more confident when you enter social situations that you don't understand, and maybe also teach you a little bit about history you didn't know, or give you interesting things to talk about at parties. Yeah, like The Secret Life of Emily Post. Or like why wristwatches are the way that they are. We can talk about table manners from the Victorian era. Sure, or what it's like to attend a Regency Ball. Yeah. Uh, you can find all that and more if you listen to Schmanners on Maximum Fun or wherever your podcasts come from, I guess. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Welcome back to Feeling Scene. Film critic and noted film podcaster Amy Nicholson doesn't love the fact that she felt seen by Adam Sandler's character in the 2006 film Click. She doesn't love that it made her cry in the theater, but she knew it was the character she wanted to bring to the show today. Let's get right back into all of that with Amy. Oh my God. Uh, Jordan, as we were talking, I just thought, I wonder if I could find my original review of Click. Because it wasn't on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was like, I wonder if it's in oh my, my God, email. I just found it. Yes! Oh my God, this is incredible news. <laughs> I was going to ask you how you reviewed it, but if we have the copy, my I will say, is, as you scan that, I will say my first review ever, I still stand by it. It was for Willamette Week, and it was about the house bunny, and I was all for it, and I think I did a great job in that review. <laughs> I think it really portended my personality forward stylings that would define my career. Oh my God, okay, here's the introductory paragraph. To the list of embarrassments in my movie-going history, parenthetical, screaming in terror in Jim Belushi's canine, a giggling fit in the middle of Eyes Wide Shut, I now <laughs> add to crying twice at this comedy click whose running gag is an oversexed dog. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's... It's so true, guys. But that's exactly the schizophrenia induced by Frank Karachi's tragic comedy about a frazzled middle-class dad who tries to fast-forward through the drags in life, dull dinners, arguments, the endless carrot and sticks log towards promotion only to realize that he's a gray-haired, lonely man who skipped through everything worth living. Um, what else? Is, I guess oh, there's only two more paragraphs. Should I just finish it? Yes, please. Okay. Please finish it. Yes. As Michael Newman, yes, the symbolism is that earnest, Sandler <laughs> retires the man-child shtick to play an exhausted breadwinner capsizing under the pressure of grown-up expectations. His out-of-his-league wife, two kids and boss, dogfight over his free hours, and despite the rare moments of levity in his existence when his pet mutt dry humps a stuffed toy... I was really obsessed with this dog. Also, this movie had a dog reaction shot. I hate this. Um, <laughs> Sandler Multiple dog reaction shots with multiple dogs. Sandler finds himself muttering about the sweet relief of death and buying a disastrous remote control from Christopher Walken in the Beyond section of a chain houseware store. 
Good thing you can control time and space. There's a superstore's worth of product placement this film has to cram in. Uh, <laughs> no mistaking it, Karachi can't direct comedy. His pacing is blunt, his rhythm as uneven as a gravel road, which makes the first half of the flick an awkward eye roller. At melodrama, however, he's a mastermind with the, <laughs> with the fiendish ability to crank up the waterworks using blunt tools like Sandler and Henry the Fonz Winkler. Click's final act is both gentle and grim, as a wizened Sandler surveys the trauma Walken's fancy gizmo hath wrought. But holding him back from stealing Jimmy Stewart's crown as the king of redemption pictures is that Steve Korn and Mark O'Keefe's script feels like its jokes were spackled on later by a committee enslaved by 12-year-old boys. <laughs> <laughs> You're still wow. Like yin and yang, there can be no sincerity without a crotch kick, no poignant observation without a lazy gay joke. By hedging its bets, Click leaves everyone unsatisfied. I'll stand by that review. <laughs> stand by the review. And you, um, you know what? Thank you so much for being a critic in 2006 who would call gay jokes out for being the bullshit that they were instead of just being like, we make gay jokes now. Like, it's a heartening and, a, to, to your credit, like, prescient way of considering the media you were consuming. So thanks for that, Amy. Thanks for being on the ball with that in the odds. I have to Barely say. Barely anybody was. I kind of want to rewind back and 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 say I'm glad. I'm, I wasn't sure I would have noticed that. I, I would I was, like, in, the, in today's present, I didn't remember who I was as a critic in 2006. So it is mm -hmm. nice to rewind and be like, oh, thank God. I knew that this was dumb then. <laughs> Watching this movie is a real intellectual knife's edge walk of being like, do you guys, like, you don't, I don't think you agree with Adam Sandler, like, like not devoting time and attention to his wife and family. But also you're like, but am I right, guys? Like, can't we relate here? And so I could never really understand if I had a conversation with those guys in 2006, like the guys who made it. Would I actually have walked away from that conversation being like, oh, you actually have the same sort of point of view I do on which characters are crummy in this movie and which characters we should really be rooting for? Because you didn't write shit for Kate Beckinsale but I still kind of think you think she's right, which is a surprising thing to see when you have a character that's so goddamn read thin. Do you think this movie is on the correct side of the correct characters or did it just accident into things? I truly don't know. No, I had the exact same like brain struggle watching this. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the moment that really popped to me is when Adam Sandler comes back in the future and he's talking to his son and there's a picture of his son with like a beautiful blonde girl and he's like, yeah. she's hot. Oh yeah, yeah. yowza. And his son's like, that's your daughter. And he's like, <gasps> and he's like, oh, well, definitely not right to talk about my daughter that way. I'm like, is that uh -huh. a little bit of like hip, his calling out his hypocrisy of thinking it's okay to talk about other girls who aren't his daughter that way? Or is exactly. it? Yeah, because it's there. But is it there? It seems like it's there. Oh, yeah. And the when when it, when he sees the photo of his son with with the daughter and he's like, don't let any no, don't let any man touch her besides you. It's like. Well, that's a weird way to phrase that also, dad. Like, what do, you, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, it's okay if it's an Ivanka situation? Like, what are we getting at here, Sandler? But that, like, that was like, man, the 2000s. What a fucking... We, it was such a weird era to be on the brink of, like, a cultural blooming that would allow for the sort of converse and dis conversation disc discourse we could have now, but, like, also at the maximum media-saturated zenith of tabloid exploitation that we had, like, ever experienced by virtue of, like, digital eruption of things like X-17 and the gossip blogs and whatnot like that. It is a, it was a horrifying bridge time of being inundated with the worst of media and not yet having, like, almost any of the language that we do now at a mainstream level to discuss unpacking it and the casual constant violence of it. Yeah, because, I mean, we there are so many women in this movie who are just there to be hot, right? Like, yeah. if David Hasselhoff can't be a creep unless he's also, like, having his secretaries have sexy feet competitions on his own desk. On That's how desk. they're demonstrating it. And the secretaries are, in my memory, being like, Oh, well, like giggling. Yeah. Like it's hard to tell if the secretaries are irritated by any of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he makes like an office. He, he made like, you know, we, that whole presentation about like sexual harassment in the workplace. Oh, when my he's, like, God. It can happen to men. It can happen to women. I was like, wow, I'm surprised he's actually saying this. And then he goes, even the office slut. 
like Stacy. And everybody titters and laughs and it looks over at Stacy, who's initially embarrassed. And then she nods like, yeah, it me. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God. Right. You're right. That that moment, I think, exactly encapsulates what's happening in here, which is like this is a movie that knows that sexual harassment is wrong. It does. <laughs> As it's sexually harassing people. Exactly. <laughs> and meanwhile, it's 2006 and you're a critic and you're watching it and you're crying. I, you know, and I will own it because he's. Adam, wow. It's Adam Sandler crawling in the rain. Yeah, saying, it is. Don't do what I did, son. The cat's in the cradle and the silver moon. <laughs> <laughs> if there is a movie that told in his filmography that told us uncut gems was on the horizon it's fucking click maybe i it might be to be honest i think there's something genuinely special in moments of this film and i mean granted like i'm a sucker for anything that's sort of like be a better person the movie okay, okay. you know like i mean i i <laughs> i, I will i'm so happy that like it's a wonderful life exists that's one of the best movies ever you know Mm -hmm. i think it's a wonderful life is is marvelous and this is like his i think attempt at doing and it's a wonderful life but you know it It, it, yes for a very narrow lens and it's just lovely like okay it's not lovely like nothing in this movie is actually lovely it's so much dog humping (laughs) (laughs) it's like the they go back to the well on that joke so many fucking times Yeah, like, it's just when in doubt, have a new dog. But you know what? When he realizes that he's missed uh, Sundance, his first dog's death. Yes. He is gutted. He's sobbing. (laughs) And, you know, because he's been in that kind of liminal state, his, like, his uh, autopilot, you know, you're not the life of the party, but you're there. He's been Mm -hmm. in autopilot. He finally starts crying, you know, that that Sundance is dead. You know, and to his family, they're surprised. They're like, oh, he's finally having an emotion about Sundance's death, even if it's months late. And I like that he has that line. Daddy kept it in for so long. Now he's letting himself feel it. Because it is true, delayed emotional reactions to things. Like, Mm -hmm. you can kind of imagine being the kids in that room and being like, oh, okay, I guess this is how it works. Men are suppressing their tears and then letting them go. And this is part of the template of what people do see in a lot of behavior. It's kind of a perfect, it's sort of a perfect time capsule movie for a very modern reappraisal because you can like, whether intended or not by the creators, and I think some of it is and some of it's not. There is so much discourse you can put in this movie, spit like so much fucking semiotic language to be like, now let's really examine like the effects and intent of click. Like this is a perfect like Twitter go crazy doing the most extra textual reads of a movie imaginable to like find the substance in it. Like click indeed is like the perfect substrate on which to exercise like a far more enriching intellectual conversation (laughs) than the movie would initially offer you. But it's like, you know what? Fuck it. Once the art's out in the world, it belongs to us now. We're going to make this whatever we need it to be. And this is like, this is like the most dazzling coloring book that just lets now like, oh my God, look at all these crazy shapes and things that I can fill in. And you can make this a psychedelic work of art. I think you really could. And I think it's important to, you know, wow. value this one level of click. There's a lot of people out there who have never seen a Lars von Trier film. They've never seen yeah. a Bergman film, but they mm-hmm. may have seen Click. And yep. if this is their Lars von Trier, if this is their Bergman, <laughs> then I am glad it exists. I imagine that there are, like, there is an audience out there who, like, when Adam Sandler turns to his little son, who's trying mm-hmm. to draw him his own architecture ske- sketch to, like, help him out, and he's like, here's a pizza room. And Adam <laughs> Sandler is like, you can't have a pizza room. And he says, hey, pizza boy, life ain't about being creative. It's about kissing ass, playing it safe. Making your boss a lot of money in hopes one day he might throw you a stinking bone. All right? That is some brutal truth. That rings as brutal truth. And I would like to think that there are are people out there who saw this movie and nodded and said, yeah, thank you for saying this, Sandler. This is a thing we need to talk about. Well, and knowing, too, that, like, specifically with Adam Sandler, who is extremely aware of the perception of the things that he makes. Like, I was, I was, the one time I've got to go to the Independent Spirit Awards was when he won for Uncut Gems, and he 
was I was in the room. He gave the most incredible speech. Like the room was, it was long. They were not cutting him off. The room was in stitches. And at one point, like, and he was doing that really Adam Sandler voice. <laughs> like he was doing the whole thing in a character, but it was extremely like alternatingly funny and earnest. And at one point he was like, he threatened the Academy Awards and was like, if you don't give me that Oscar, I'm going to spend the next 10 years of my life making the most piece of shit movies you've ever seen. Like he knows. <laughs> knows exactly what he is known for making and he also like it's also been extremely successful for him and like what was that the the ridiculous six like when oh, that debuted God. on netflix was extremely popular and it was like the most boiled down adam sandler possible and yet it's like when you hear a line like that it's like adam sandler like, what stage are you at in your career where you are saying a line like this and you produce as much work that you do and so much of it could be discarded as pablum, but you know it's really fucking successful. So, like, how much, what percentage of this line is Adam Sandler saying this being like, listen, man, this is about churning out movies that work for the algorithm of studio executives and kissing their ass and making them money so you can keep making your movies. I was like... What? Am I seeing into a snow globe right now? Like, am I looking into the Oracle foretelling things? Yeah, because he, you're right. He kind of, he has mostly buried his ambitions and not talked about them that much. Like, yeah. like I mean, remember all of the fuss when people were like, Eddie Murphy wants to get his Oscar. Eddie yes. Murphy needs his Oscar. And there are people who are like very clear about it. Like, I've earned this. I need that role. Give me that role. Give me that role. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, where Sandler is with that. If something like Uncut Gems, like, gives gives him the blood in his mouth and he's like, oh, I want it, I want it, I want it. They are yeah. trying to give, I think, like, an Oscar push for his new newer movie, Hustle, that came out this year. Okay. Which, have you seen this one? No, I haven't seen that. It's actually pretty good. I got assigned to review it and I was dreading it because I knew it was a Netflix Adam Sandler basketball movie. And okay. I and I had <laughs> yeah. just seen the Netflix. Th- those are tough keywords to get through. <laughs> yeah. I had just reviewed the uh, the Netflix Adam Sandler football movie. And that movie okay. that movie was awful. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, great. Here we go. But Hustle, mm-hmm. his basketball movie, is amazing. I loved that movie. I, it's, oh. it's one of the few movies I've given a critic's pick to at the New York Times. And... <laughs> And it actually, so who knows? They're trying to give this, I think, an Oscar push because I already got a screener for it. And I'm like, this is on Netflix, but okay. (laughs) That's when you know Netflix is serious, when you get the hard copy. Yeah, when you get the hard copy, they're like, pay attention. We're going to be first. We want you to know that we are here. And I don't know if it'll work, if they'll get any traction. But like, I wonder if that's coming from Sandler, man. Like, I want to do this. I want this. Amy, I very sadly have to come to my conclusion point with you. And so I will come to my last question, which is, if you had the remote, what would be the button you would be most likely to abuse? And Uh, I will start that by saying, pause. Pause would be my most likely to abuse, like to just stay in things. I know I would hit that a lot. Pause too. Pause too for me. That was going to be the one I was going to say. Because like I, if my whole thing is worried about not being present, at least if you Mm -hmm. pause... What, mm-hmm. What's the harm in that? Pausing, being present, taking a breath, being like, mm-hmm. I'm stressed. Let me just pause for a second. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'd be a rewinder. I'm not a nostalgist necessarily. Okay. Um, I'm very curious about the future. So I can imagine wanting to fast forward, but this movie has, has changed me out of it. What other good <laughs> buttons are there? I'm like, do I even – I don't, all my remotes, remotes are over there. Yeah. Would, you, would you color change your tint the way he does and go from green to purple? Oh, that's right. When And then when he becomes Barney in the car, like the the incredibly happy Madison moments in this movie, it's like, man, this guy really gets carte blanche to just be Adam Sandler when he makes shit. He, re- I think that is how Adam Sandler walks through life with a lot of carte blanche. But, you know, we've seen the cost of what that blanche has cost him, man. Yeah. Time. Yeah. He's probably on the phone with somebody right now negotiating something. <laughs> yeah. You're, 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 you're right, because these things aren't making themselves. Um Amy, thank you so much for taking the time, a thing that you don't have any (laughs) to spare of, to watch Click again to talk to me about it for this pod. This has been an illuminating conversation. I was so, me and Marissa had texted multiple times about like, man, where's this one going to go with Click? And (laughs) it was so exciting knowing that you are someone who 
covers movies for a living, lives within movies. Um, so it was like, well, I mean, she is a fucking famous podcaster and knows how to do this. And also she knows. Mo- so she's going to have a take on this. And I just could not be happier to have had this conversation with you. I'm so glad to have talked about this movie with somebody who has also now seen this movie and we can have a conversation. I know very few people in my life who have seen Click. <laughs> yeah. So they everybody wants to talk about Von Trier. Let me talk about this movie. <laughs> Listen, I ha- the odds pod is dedicated to the discarded trash of the 2000s, so you can come to me anytime <laughs> for the discarded up, you know, and what's a discarded trash of the 2000s? Jennifer's body. So that is my era in which to shine. So you I'm on standby for you anytime. Ah, <gasps> oh, I love it. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you again to Amy Nicholson for helping us stretch the boundaries of what's possible here at Feeling Seen, a goal we are always trying to achieve. Amazing stuff. Season four of Unspooled, Amy's very famous film podcast with comedian Paul Shear, is currently going strong on your podcatcher of choice. Um, and now that means I have the promised one quick thing before I go. Uh, last episode, we talked about Violent Night. So we're on a Christmas kick. We're on a Christmas violence kick. And that means I'm going to shout out one of the most underrated, underrated as a Christmas classic movies of all time. And that is the Rennie Harlan directed, Shane Black written, Gina Davis starring shoot 'em up movie from 1996, The Long Kiss Goodnight. This movie has it all. And by that, I mean Gina Davis. She starts the movie as, like, Susie Homemaker, PTA mom, devoted wife, like, beautiful. We're, we're slaying in the snow. Daughter's playing ice hockey. It's everything wonderful. But then people from her past, people from Samantha Kane's past show up. And those people are murderous bad guys. Those are henchmen. Reflex takes over. And Samantha Kane kills some people and is like, what is this? What have I done? Who am I? What's going on? And then her identity starts slowly coming back as twist, guys. Samantha Kane is not a real person. She is the amnesiatic, is that a word? Amnesiatic identity of Charlie. A bad bitch, drinking, killing, kicking ass assassin. And reuniting with a man from her past, played by Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Samantha, nay, Charlie, comes to realize the truth of who she was. And that has to come crashing into who she is now and the life she has built around her when her daughter is taken by bad guys. Leaving sexy, rad, platinum-haired, trash-talking Charlie to get out there and save an innocent child from goons, requisite goons. This is Rennie Harlan in the 90s, guys. Like, we're talking Die Hard 2, like Rennie Harlan in the 90s. Um, Gina Davis is a work of art. Samuel L. Jackson is giving exactly what you want Samuel L. Jackson to deliver. It's a 90s Shane Black script. Uh, Rennie Harlan was really at a a zenith in this era. It is so damn much fun. And when you have... People in the press who should know better talking about how there were no female-fronted action properties until YA franchises started being adapted en masse in the early, late 2000s, early 2010s. It's important that we correct the record on these things and recognize the lineage of incredible female-fronted action movies that have been populating the landscape Four decades, even if now there is a wonderful recognition of the validity and necessity and the popularity of those kinds of vehicles. It's been happening forever. And Gina, goddamn Davis, was out there making them. So, it's a long kiss goodnight. It's a long kiss goodnight. Merry Christmas. Watch Gina Davis ice skate with a very big gun strapped to her back. That's something you can do for yourself, for us all. Uh, And that is our show. That's the parting image I'm going to leave you with. 
You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorcru on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.